Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of The Lad from Matthew Har and Sam Podcast. I'm your host, Shane Holcomb. Frank Lampard's side hit adversity for the first time this season over the past week, losing back-to-back Premier League games for the first time since, coincidentally, the exact same time of year last campaign. The Blues was a tough task at the bridge this Monday, a lot of Derby with West Ham United away. It's on the podcast, though. It's my honor to welcome on one of the most interesting, comical, and knowledgeable members of soccer media, co-host of the best Chelsea podcast out there, the London's Blue podcast. Nick Rulaney, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. How's everything? What's going on, man? That's far, far too kind. Uh, I I don't believe any of those accolades are, are, are mine to, to hold, but uh, no, I'm excited for you and just want to, you know, again, we were talking a little bit before the show, just want to commend you for starting your podcast journey at, at such a young age. I mean, it is a incredibly crowded space and uh, it's really cool to see that you're you're kind of on this adventure at this stage and that you have so much room to, to go and, and grow in the space. So congratulations, man. I appreciate those words. And uh, thanks for joining the podcast, man. Once again, speaking for all Chelsea fans, all the content that you guys have produced the past few years, Dan, Brand has been excellent. Your podcast was a huge reason why I've turned into a maniac Chelsea fan. And I'm sure many more in the U.S. specifically can testify to that. But before we preview the West Ham fixture. I want to talk a little bit about the foundations of the podcast and how it came to be one of the top soccer podcasts in the U.S. Am I right when I say that Brandon just kind of tweeted out one day that he wanted to start a Chelsea podcast, which got this whole thing started? That is 100% right. I mean, it is, it's the most kind of serendipitous uh, thing that's ever happened in my life, probably, um, that I was on Twitter at the point where I saw a retweet come through that Brandon wanted to start a Chelsea show and I was interested at the time um, in, in starting one. And then Dan was the other, the only other person that responded is us two were the only two that responded to, to Brandon. So it was, it was really, yeah. I mean, it's really cool to begin our journey. We didn't even record our first episode. We, we didn't hit record on it. <laughs> um, so we had to re-record that one. And uh, you know, it, it started off a little rough, but as you know, man, it's just, it takes, consistency to go back every single week rain or shine win or loss and record about the club that you love i mean it's it's consistency is the number one thing that that all podcasters should have at the start of their journey uh, whether that be once once a month or once a week whatever the the cadence is just go back and keep getting better refining your skills i mean we certainly aren't the finished article yet and it's been you know it'll be seven years in august for us so um, yeah, we, we, we started off uh, very humble roots, three, uh, three guys who had never covered the club before. And, uh, you know, I think the, the other thing that I would, I would call it to any podcasters listening to this or, or anyone who has ambition to maybe start their own show like you have is the community that you build is reflective on the show that you have, right? So our community, the reason I'm so proud of our show is our community is built on an incredible set of folks, thoughtful, generous, kind. We have some of the best Chelsea dialogue between fans anywhere on the internet in our discord. And even when you look at the folks that we engage with on Twitter, it's people who aren't saying, you know, F you blank and blank player. It's people who are like, man, I'm not sure if that was the best performance from this kind of person. Right. And it's, it's not to say that we aren't passionate. It's not to say that we don't get angry at bad results, like like Tuesday's result, for example. But it is, 
to me, it is an incredible feat to have built a community of people who are so kind and generous and thoughtful and are, are not out for blood. They're, they are out to kind of deepen their love for Chelsea. And I hope that that is the kind of community that you're able to build as well, because it makes everything worth it. I want to talk a little bit about that community because it's remarkable nowadays through social media, how Chelsea fans can connect with one another from all around the world. And I think that your guys' story symbolizes that love for the club that's felt with every fan from every walk of life. Real quick, Bo, before we move on to talking about Chelsea's match with the Hammers, can you talk a little bit about Brandon, Dan, and yours' trips to London the past few years? What connections have you made with those on the other side of the pond, but also some of the cool interview opportunities that you've been lucky enough to have or that be with Chelsea players or popular journalists in England that are now regularly on the podcast. Yeah, so we we have been uh, we've been very fortunate. I'll, I'll say this, it, you know, I don't want to come off as as humble pie guy over here, but like the, you know, we we have been really fortunate. There's no other way to look at it, really. Um, you know, we've we've done some strategic outreach to journalists, and we did that in our first couple of seasons. You know, just to have professionals, people who could validate or not validate our opinions, right? People who are covering the matches day in, day out when we're not able to go to the bridge every every day. Now, we have been lucky uh, that those journalists like us and that we've had recurring guests now for five or six years. You know, we, we've, you know, I think are, are very proud of that. But the, the ch- chance that we got in our third season to go to London and see the Antonio Conte winning side one match away from clinching the title. We didn't get to quite see the title clincher, but we were one match away. And to, to feel the energy that first time, like I had been to, a, I did a study abroad when I was in college. You know, this, I'm very old compared to you. So think about this. Uh, I was in college. I did a study abroad at Oxford University and, and I ended up going and, and seeing the bridge when we were uh, in London for like a random day out or whatever. And it was during the summer so that no one was playing the field was all ripped up or whatever but it was cool just to be there for a hot second when we got to go back to the bridge for the first time i remember walking up out of the tube station and you kind of round this bend and you get to see the stadium it's like tucked into this neighborhood right it's not like its own american sports arena with a huge parking lot and uh, right there it's kind of like wrigley field almost and I just, the chill that you get is, there's nothing like it in the world to me. Like it, it was incredible. And the fact that we've been able to go back four more times, we've been to something like 12 matches now and we brought with us, we did a couple of group trips even, you know, with people through our, our partner in XL Tours. We, we think we brought somewhere in the neighborhood of like 90 people with us on trips now, something like that. It, ridiculous amount of people trusted us to tour guide them around that part of the world a little bit. Um, it's incredible, man. It's, and it is so rewarding to see people go for the first time and get that same energy. You know, it's like, you remember when you had the energy and then, and then someone else has it and you're like, oh man, you're just looking at them with like fatherly pride. You're like, God, you guys are just, you're going to love this so much. Like, so anyway, uh, yes, going over is a huge part of the experience. I, I, I hope, and I know that you have been, I, you know, I, I think the, my hope is once COVID is over, obviously, and life is a little bit more normal, that more people are able to go and experience it for themselves because it's it's a way to connect yourself to the club forever. And then we got really, really lucky um, to connect with the club in a way that they've allowed us to interview 15 current and former Chelsea players. Like, 
that's not something that exists to a lot of people in this world. We, you know, we've established ourselves as a presence and are, you know, really grateful that the club has been a great partner for us there and, and put out a whole interview series last year on Chelsea's DNA. Um, so you can go listen to that or, or watch it on YouTube if you want. I actually, I really liked that episode on Chelsea's DNA because as a fan from the United States, I've only been following the club for about two, three years now. And when I went to the bridge back in last March, coincidentally, it was their last home game before this whole COVID thing um, against Everton. I'm, like you said, it gave me chills. I mean, when I walked up and I saw even the, the stadium tour, when I walked up and saw the pitch, I saw the stadium, I saw the Matthew Harden stand. It was just brilliant. And the game day atmosphere was something else. I mean, I've been to a Penn State wideout. I've been to New York Giants football games, but this was above that. And it's 60,000, maybe less people, but it's double the energy and it's everyone coming together from all these different communities cheering on the club that they love. And I was lucky enough to be in Matthew Harden stand so low down. And it was brilliant when Giroud scored a goal. He comes over, William slides in front of us. I mean, it was one of the best days of my life, but also the museum tour that I was able to go on, which if you are in London, I suggest you go on too. That was brilliant also. Oh, 100%. We have a, we know a guy over there because we've been on the tour a couple of times. Adam, who's in the, he's like the club's leading tour guide. If you, if you go over and, and are lucky enough to go on one of the stadium tours, and I would highly suggest it just like you did, uh, get Adam because that guy has stories that you will never believe about the stadium, about the team. I mean, he is able to recite effortlessly the entire history of Chelsea Football Club. And another kind of sneaky point, if you're, if you're thinking about going over when, when COVID's done, uh, Rick Glanville, who's the Chelsea historian, um, the official club historian, he will occasionally do walking tours around Stamford Bridge, recalling different historical moments that happened, um, whether it be the FA Cup, 1970 FA Cup win when they took the double-decker bus down Fulham Broadway, or they, you know, there's five other major historical points around the, around the stadium that will take you on. Uh, it is an incredible uh, thing to do. So I, I would highly encourage everyone on your, in your audience to go follow Rick Glanville on Twitter. He is the source, the single source of truth around the history of Chelsea Football Club, and it's a fascinating history. And anywhere I go now, the library, a long car ride, or prepping for a podcast of mine, the London Smooth Podcast always puts a smile on my face after a win, or like you mentioned before, a tough defeat. Brandon, Dan, and yourself are constantly putting out great content at Chelsea Faithful. In your interviews with top names in the journalism industry who covered Chelsea, or even talking with fans have taken your podcast up a whole nother level the past year, and every episode always delivers. But now, Nick, it's time to talk about Chelsea versus West Ham. A London Derby taking place at Stamford Bridge tomorrow at time of release, December the 21st, 3 p.m. Eastern time on NBC for us in the States. It's definitely fair to say the Hammers have been a thorn in Frank Lampard's side over the past calendar year, successfully pulling off the, just their second double against Chelsea in their history while in the Premiership last campaign. David Moyes' side currently sitting respectfully only one point behind Chelsea in ninth place this season. And Chelsea's arch nemesis, Mikel Antonio, who just signed an extension to his contract with West Ham until 2023, could return from injury Monday night, of course. Tactically-wise, West Ham have reverted to a back three for most of the season. However, switched back to a default 4-2-3-1 in their past two Premier League games. Chelsea, meanwhile, have stuck with the 4-3 formation, but now Frank Lampard 
the club are starting to get some questions on where new German summer signings Kai Havertz and Timo Werner best fit into their formation on the pitch. When the team sheet rolls out one hour prior to kickoff on Monday, where specifically would you like to see the two Germans play on the pitch? Or do you think now is the time to potentially drop the players based off of their recent performances in Chelsea's past two defeats? It's a really, really interesting question. I like we we did a whole preview on this and it's coming out on on Sunday as well. And you know, we were talking about different formations and different player combinations and like how how do you if you're Frank Lampard and you know that whatever we've done the last two matches is clearly not enough, right? I mean, it's just it, it was not very good. It wasn't appealing to to watch. You know, some of the spark and the energy that you saw in that October and November run didn't seem to be there. So, you know, if you know that, right, do you, do you switch it up? Do you do something a little wonky? Do you do something a little different? And, you know, I, I, I struggle with this a little bit because I think one of the key traits of having Pulisic and Ziyech and Callum, you know, available and, and ready for selection is that you keep width in your team, right? I mean, although Ziyech and Pulisic can certainly tuck in, they are dangerous out wide. Right. I mean, that, that is kind of where they get the ball and they're able to receive it and do damage. Timo wants to tuck in. Kai wants to tuck in. They want to go central because that's where they, they feel better, closer to goal. Right. So I if you're Frank and you're trying to figure out what to do with Timo, you're trying to figure out what to do with, with Kai Havertz. It's going to be an interesting selection because West Ham are kind of a take no prisoners team as, as I'm sure you know I mean there are going to be some tough tackles in this game this is uh, one that you know kind of the more industrious teams love to play against a, a Chelsea with a little bit more flair in their in their attacking lineup so there, it's going to be a hard match I would opt to rest Kai Havertz personally um, I think he he just hasn't looked up to speed it could be for a number of reasons I'm not slating him I'm not saying he's a bad player that's clearly not the case but it just hasn't been very good, right? So I would opt to do something a little weird. And I want to get your, your thoughts on this uh, as well, Shane, because Dan and Brandon both disagreed with me, which is, pr- you know, pretty standard operating procedure for our show. But um, I, I would opt to go for a three back, actually. I would opt to play a three, five, two. Uh, so let, let me walk you through this for a minute. Uh, obviously, we're going to have many in the back. That's that's a given. I would go with the back three of Aspi Silva and Zuma Silva playing the sweeper kind of distributor role uh, in the middle of those three. Then Reese James and Chilwell playing wing back so they can push up and provide natural width because that's what they're really good at. And then I would have Conte and Mount in the midfield, which is a little weird. Uh, I know it's a, a bit of a strange one. With Christian Pulisic playing a floating 10. Um, so he's able to he's able to stick into the middle, kind of play behind two forwards. Those two forwards to me are Giroud and Werner. So I, why this is a potential solve to me, if, if you follow my logic pattern, you have more natural width with the wingbacks. Pulisic's able to drop into dangerous areas and pick up the ball like he did uh, when he was on his like kind of hot streak in the summer. And you get Werner and Giroud interchange, and they're both closer to goal than Werner being out wide kind of on an island isolated. So I don't know what you think about that, but that's my goofy way to approach West Ham. Real quick on the Kai Havertz and Timo Werner front, I just want to keep reiterating what Frank Lambert has reiterated many times during his press conferences throughout the early part of the season that all these summer signings 
had no preseason to work with the team. And other than Timo Werner and Hakim Ziyech, the likes of Havertz, Thiago Silva, were playing for their former clubs up until last August. Edward Mendy didn't even arrive at Cobb before the Premier League season started. So, I mean, these aren't excuses. These are facts. And when sprint rolls around and players with the caliber of talent, such as Havertz or Werner, still aren't clicking, then I'd be worried. But I have all the faith in the world, these two young superstar players that uh, both will go on etch themselves in the history books for Chelsea with a lot of trophies and accolades, hopefully. But moving on into the matchup at West Ham United, team news-wise, Frank Lampard at his pre-match pressure spoke the words all Chelsea fans were hoping for. Hakim Ziyech and Cullum Hudson-Odoi both started training again with the squad, starting on Friday. Still, both have a slim chance to start. Hopefully, they can make the bench come Monday. Other than the two winners, there was a report out today, just a couple minutes before we actually started to record from a really trustworthy source, a carefree youth on Twitter that someone in Chelsea's defense might not be featuring the likes of Reese James, Ben Chua, Edward Mendy, Thiago Silva, or Ben Chuel. But meanwhile, David Moyes has come out with the news that Blues fans will be worried about. As mentioned in the intro, Michael Antonio could be fit to return to a hammer side he's been so successful with. I found it interesting that Antonio used to actually play as a right win back. I didn't know that. I went back to see his seasons like 2015, 2016, 2017. He played at right back for West Ham in some games, which shows in his ability to hold up play so nicely for his side. But in your opinion, Nick, on the Chelsea side of things, who's a player you're looking at for this game that could thrive and be a key player for Chelsea to win? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of gave you my my goofy lineup, and and I think, you know, if if Carefree Youth is correct that's it, it kind of throws a wrench into my system. So I'm, I'm really bummed about that. <laughs> um, but uh, I would then look for a Christian Pulisic. If, you know, let's pretend that my formation actually happens. Just play that out, right? I think Christian Pulisic could be incredibly dynamic in this game. Um, and and not because I'm, I have an American bias or whatever, but, you know, he's just getting up to speed uh, because I definitely do have an American bias. There's no doubt about that. Um, but I think he's just getting up to speed now. And again, you, you start to see the opportunity for him to really play as the number that he has on his shirt, right? Play as a number 10, play as a creative playmaker, distribute the ball in dangerous areas to Timo Werner and Olivier Giroud. Do the thing, you know, not, not get isolated out of the wing, trying to drive towards the end line and cut back. You know, I think... He really needs to to do some some of his magic kind of centrally in this game. So I would look at Pulisic. I like that you put Pulisic in the number 10 role because he was really successful cutting from the outside to the inside during the summer where he scored so many goals, including that FA Cup final goal. And I feel like if you're playing Pulisic at the 10, he's going to be running straight. And I feel like that's when he's at his best, when he's running straight. And I'm also looking at Jorginho to potentially start in this game. Now, hear me out. I know that many Chelsea fans aren't huge advocates for the player, but in a game that is going to require breaking down a defense with passing, there's not a lot of players in all of Europe that have George's abilities with long balls. Bruno Fernandes was able to unlock Rashford, unlock Martial a few weeks back at the London Stadium. And I think if Timo Werner or even Tammy Abraham lead the line, it could be a goal scorer's dream. But let's not undermine West Ham's defense, however, keeping four clean sheets. They've allowed the tied fifth least amount of goals to go in the back of the net. This season, I'm also really interested to see what Billy Gilmore's involvement in this match pertains. I'd love to see him start, but I don't think he will. He's looked good so far from coming back from his injury. I think he could play a big part in the fixture Monday night. 
let's transition into a little bit about what's going through Frank Lampard's mind right now. Uh, the past two games, Chelsea have had struggles both offensively, defensively, missing great chances. And in the Wolves game in particular, getting caught out on the counterattack. Pedro Neto's winning goal midweek reminded me so much of Audrey Yamalenko's gut punch in 89th minute goal against Chelsea last season. I noticed that Ben Shiloh and Reese James the past two games have been really forward. I don't know if that's just because we've lost and I'm starting to notice that now. But I mean, they're getting so forward, which is kind of hurting us on the counterattack in football, which is how West Ham likes to play and how they beat you. So I'm a little concerned about if midweek's defense carries over to this game. What questions are you asking about Lampard right now that you want answered tactic-wise or even mentality-wise as the Blues enter into a very busy period of games? Yeah, I think the mentality is the key one there. You know, Frank can put out my formation, another formation, whatever formation, but it's it's then down to the players to execute, right? He has very little say once the players step on the pitch. You know, he can make he can make adjustments and changes, but if the players go out with a bad attitude against this West Ham team, they're going to get beat. Um, you know, I think that's just kind of the long and short of it to me. You you have to be mentally strong to play against a team like this, and West Ham are in good form. Declan Rice is their best and most important player. Uh, Ogbana has been playing incredible at center back for them, uh, even contributing to the goals a little bit. Jared Bowen has six goal contributions on the year. He's a hardworking winger who's going to press uh, up on Chilwell and try and make it a difficult day for Chilwell with the ball. Uh, and, you know, obviously, whatever combination of Antonio or Ale or whoever ends up playing up front for them is, is a danger. I mean, th- this is it's much more of a mentality thing. I want to see this team come out strong at home, impose their will. I would look, you know, I know this isn't, you know, maybe a popular take, but I would look for one of our players early on to set the tone with a really hard tackle. Um, maybe get a yellow card in the third minute, but just set the tone say, Hey, this, we're not going to be bullied today. Thanks. Um, I, I think it's really important. And I know that sounds silly, but th- these games, the game against Everton got away from us a little bit. You know, I think the team showed their a little bit of softness there, which I didn't love. The Wolves game got away from us because the, our head went. You know, obviously, if you only have Zuma and Silva on a counterattack moving backwards against speedy wingers, that's not a good place for Chelsea Football Club to be. Um, so your your point about the the fullbacks pushing up is is incredibly important. That's what I'm kind of trying to solve for with my goofy line, lineup that I put out there. Is like, you know, let them go forward, but have an extra person at the back that can help protect, you know? Exactly. And I think that's what Aspliqueta could provide at that right center back role. He's a captain, he's a leader, and I think he's very vocal. And if you put Aspliqueta and Tiago Silva on the same pitch, I don't know if we've seen that so far this season, actually, Aspliqueta and Tiago Silva, but that's going to be a lot of leadership and that's going to be a lot of confidence for Chelsea's we- defense. I don't know if we've seen it. Have you seen it? I think we saw it against United. Yeah, Manchester okay. United, I think, was the only time. Yeah. Because we played a back three, I'm pretty sure, in that game, too. So we played Reese James and uh, Aspilicuates in that game. But I'm going to select the same back five. Now with carefree youth's news, though, I think Edward Mendy is in between the sticks. I'm starting Mateo Kovacic, Mason Mount in midfield. My guess is Hudson and is a little bit more fit than Ziyech right now. I think and I hope that Lampard will select him. Put him on the right flank. Partner him with Christian Pusik on the left. Timo Werner leads the line. And I think that this is the match that he finally gets back on the score sheet. It's a big call for me to drop Havertz also. But like you said, 
he still doesn't look quite up to speed. Ziyech, meanwhile, I don't expect Frank to rush him back, although his presence on the pitch is going to be critical going forward for Chelsea. He didn't select Pusik in the squad against Everton due to injury, which I'm pretty sure we're going to see again this Monday. I think Ziyech will probably make the bench, and I'm going to be interested to see who also makes the bench, the likes of Andrew and what are their fringe players now because the Premier League boosted from seven to nine players that you can name on the bench. We shall see, Nick. What are your thoughts on a guy like Jorginho or a guy like Hudson Adoy starting in this game? Uh, yeah, I mean, you're, you're kind of sticking with the four, the four, three, three, which is, is, you know, probably what it's going to be. I my, mine is a whole goofy thing. So don't, uh, you know, take whatever you want out of that. Um, I would be interested about Jorginho partially because I think if we get countered, I don't know if I would want him to be kind of the last line of defense before our defense in this game. Um, Although to your to your earlier point, I think he is more comfortable playing some of those long passes. So I, yeah, I'm interested in that. I, if, if you play a four three three, I think the the really the really dynamic choice would be to throw Gilmore in at one of the eights. If if you are not convinced that Kovacic can break down, you know, an opposing defense. So I you know I'm kind of intrigued by that. But the other thing that I would I would call out about your lineup is I. I am at the point in in my following with Chelsea Football Club that if someone is hurt, I want them to get 100% healthy and not 70% healthy and then come back. Um, so if Callum is is actually fit, cool, awesome. I doubt it. I doubt that Ziyech is 100% fit. Hell, I doubt that Pulisic is 100% fit, to be honest with you. Um, but I, I think the way to avoid some of these soft tissue injuries is to not rush back right? And not have a recurring injury that makes it a three-month layoff instead of three weeks, you know? So I would hope that the medical staff is going to be careful, and I'm sure they are, with with some of these injuries, because we need a fully fit squad, it's clear, to get through this gauntlet of Premier League matches over the next six weeks. It's going to be an absolute slugfest. Uh, so we need everyone fit. Which is why I think I'm benching Conte for this game because he played, I think he actually had a really good game against Wolves. But in the second half, he just didn't look up to par. He looked kind of slow. He didn't look like he was fully fit. And I feel like if you give him a rest in this game, you maybe bring him on in the 60th, 70th minute to kind of close the game out. I just don't want him starting in this game because he looked tired at the end of the Wolves game. What are your thoughts on maybe dropping in Golo Conte? It's interesting, man. Uh, you know, I, I think back to, you know, the game that you went to last year at Everton, right? And the mm. fact that, that Billy Gilmore played such a key role in that game. And at that time was playing more of a number six, right? Um, that was that was when Jorginho was out of favor. And then Billy Gilmore, I think, was man of the match that day, if I'm not He was man of the match, yep. 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 So, so then you have an interesting proposition on your hands, right? Because, you know, what if Billy comes in and shines at the six again? And you know, we saw him against Krasnodar, I think, play a very disciplined match. I mean, certainly not 100% match fit yet because he hasn't had a whole lot of game time. But look sharp on the ball, look sharp turning and passing, distributing the ball quickly, you know, not getting caught in possession. I don't know. That's interesting to me. Uh, not to, you know, poo-poo on, on your Jorginho selection, but, uh, you know, I would be, I'd be thinking about a whole different myriad of options then. And thinking about that Georgina selection now, you're making me 
want to start Billy Gilmore even more now because he was so special <laughs> on the ball that day. And I love the guy. I actually rate him higher than Jorginho. And I think Frank Lampard does. And that's, that was apparent last at the end of the last season when he started Billy Gilmore over Jorginho for a lot of those games before he got hurt. And I rate him higher than Jorginho because he can be very good on the ball. He can pass the ball really well, but he can also, he also has more, way more speed going back on the counter attack. And if he plays, I want him to play in that six role. If him, Mason Mount, and Mateo Kovacic are playing, I'd rather have Billy Gilmore in the six and not an eight. So, I mean, we could talk about lineups all day. It's going to be interesting. I mean, I love Billy Gilmore. Uh, he's going to be a Chelsea legend one day. I, I, I mean, I, it was so special to see him because it was his first Premier League start, and he was so awesome. I mean, he was amazing that day. He was amazing in the Liverpool game, too. I mean, he was amazing all last season, and I think he's going to be amazing for upcoming years. Um, mm-hmm. But before we wrap up, because all the Chelsea fans who listen to the London's Boo podcast know just how good Brandon, Dan, and Nick are at score predictions. Nick, I'm going to hand over to you. Uh, what's your score prediction for Chelsea versus West Ham? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I, I honestly don't think I've had one right all year. Um, so that'll tell you something. Uh, boy, I think, you know, it's like you sit with this, right? I, on, on our show, I predict a 4-3 barn burner <laughs> just to do something goofy because I'm all, like I'm, I'm pretty much de facto wrong. So I might as well have it be entertaining. So I'll go with a 4-3 barn burner. I don't think it's going to be boring. I think it'll be exciting. I'm going for 3-2 to Chelsea. I think that Werner playing centrally, even if he does play with Giroud in a two-striker system like you mentioned earlier, I think he does get some channels. I think he can run at that West Ham defense. But I also see West Ham scoring the counterattack. I mean, it's going to happen. It's just what they do. We could be in for a really long day because we saw at Southampton, West Brom, just having consistency with that back line, which we struggled with last season. We've seen how much that's hurt Chelsea. So hopefully they're healthy. But I do see West Ham scoring in the counterattack. I think they're going to score two goals. But at the end of the day for Chelsea, three points are all that matter. Make sure to go follow the podcast on Instagram at Ladford Matthew Harden Podcast. Tell us your teams. Tell us your score predictions in the comments of the teaser preview videos on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Shane Holcomb13. The real gem and key of this podcast growth, however, and Nick can testify to this, are five-star Apple Podcasts rating and reviews. They are appreciated. But before we wrap up, Nick, can you talk a little bit about the great content that the London is Boo podcast creates, but also where my audience can find you guys on social media platforms? Yeah, of course. Uh, again, thank you for, for having me on. Uh, it's it's a treat to, to do these as, as a guest and not a host. So I'm uh, <laughs> excited about that. Um, yeah, so we are on Twitter, Instagram uh, at London Blue Pod. Uh, so you can find us there uh, on Facebook as well if you're, if you're interested. Uh, and then we have uh, just a s- stupid amount of content coming out on a weekly basis right now. Um, we had our, our Matt Law interview. You know, we're doing two uh, two interviews with Matt Law a month right now. So we had w- one drop on Friday, uh, this previous Friday, the 18th. We'll have another one coming out uh, around New Year's Eve uh, to, to reflect back on, on 2020 and, and the year to, to come. Uh, and then we basically have match reviews every match. So if you're interested in, in that kind of content, feel free to hop on over. And uh, yeah, so we got. Well, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on the podcast. And Nate, Nick, you guys are so awesome. Content that you guys create are so awesome. You always make my day when you release an episode, even though there's always people on Twitter saying, where's the match review uh, on a Monday or on a Sunday. 
but you always make my day when you release those episodes. You guys are awesome. If you're listening to this podcast right now, and this podcast is ending right now, go listen to the London is Blue podcast. Subscribe. Give a five-star Apple podcast review and rating, even if it's just that's good. So Brandon, Dick, or Nick can try to mispronounce your name in the next episode. Thank you, Nick, once again for joining the podcast. Everyone, make sure to give a five-star rating and review. Once again, you can find us at Lad from Matthew Harden Podcast on Instagram. You can find me on Twitter at Shane Holcomb13. Nick, what's your Twitter? <clears throat> at Nick Verlaney. That's it, just my name. <laughs> so, so yeah, come and uh, you know, if you want to enjoy some some thoughtful banter around Chelsea Football Club, I'll I'll be there. Well, thank you once again, Nick, for joining the podcast. Everyone, thank you for your support the past three weeks with Liz, with Dami, and with Son of Chelsea. The first three episodes have been awesome, and I can't wait for where this podcast has to go from here. Let's hope that Chelsea can pull away a victory. Frank Lampard hasn't lost three Premier League games in a row so far in his manager career. Hopefully that stays the same Monday night. Up the Chelsea. Stay safe, everyone.